What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Volume 2, Chapter 12 of The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 2, Chapter 12 social virtues march twentieth eighteen twenty four the dreaded time is come and arthur is gone as i expected this time he announced it his intention to make but a short stay in london and pass over to the continent where he should probably stay a few weeks but i shall not expect him till after the lapse of many weeks i now know that with him days signify weeks and weeks months i was to have accompanied him but a little before the time arranged for our departure he allowed and even urged me with an appearance of wonderful self-sacrifice to go and see my unfortunate father who was very ill and my brother who was very unhappy in consequence of both the illness and its cause and whom i had not seen since the day our child was christened when he stood sponsor along with mr hargrave and my aunt not willing to impose upon my husband's good nature in thus allowing me to leave him i made but a very short stay but when i returned to grassdale he was gone he left a note to explain his so hasty departure pretending that some sudden emergency had demanded his immediate presence in london and rendered it impossible to await my return adding that i had better not trouble myself to follow him as he intended to make such a short stay that it would hardly be worth while and as of course he could travel alone at less than half the expense than if i accompanied him it would perhaps be better to defer the excursion to another year when he should have got our affairs into a rather more settled state as he was now endeavouring to do was it really so or was the whole a contrivance to ensure his going forth upon his pleasure-seeking excursion without my presence to restrain him it is painful to doubt the sincerity of those we love but after so many proofs of falsity and utter disregard to principle how can i believe so improbable a story i have this one source of consolation left he had told me some time previously that
that if ever he went to london or paris again he should observe more moderation in his indulgences than before lest he should destroy his capacity for enjoyment altogether he had no ambition to live to a prodigious old age but he should like to have his share of life and above all to relish its pleasures to the last to which end he found it necessary to economize for already he feared he was not so handsome a fellow as he had been and young as he was he had lately detected some grey hairs among his beloved chestnut locks he suspected he was getting a trifle fatter too than was quite desirable but that was with good living and idleness and for the rest he trusted he was as strong and hearty as ever only there was no saying what another such season of unlimited madness and devilment as the last might not do towards bringing him down yes he said this to me with unblushing effrontery and that same blithe roguish twinkle of the eyes i once so loved to see and that low joyous laugh it used to warm my heart to hear well such considerations will doubtless have more weight with him than any that i could urge we shall see what they can do towards his preservation since no better hope remains july thirtieth he returned about three weeks ago rather better in health certainly than before but still worse in temper and yet perhaps i am wrong it is i that am less patient and forbearing i am tired out with his injustice his selfishness and hopeless depravity i wish a milder word would do i am no angel and my corruption rises against it my poor father died last week arthur was vexed to hear of it because he saw that i was shocked and grieved and he feared the circumstance would mar his comfort when i spoke of ordering my mourning he exclaimed oh i hate black but however i suppose you must wear it a while for form's sake but i hope helen you won't think it your bounden duty to compose your face and manners into conformity with your funereal garb why should you sigh and groan and i be made uncomfortable because an old gentleman in blankshire a perfect stranger to us both has thought proper to drink himself to death there now i declare you're crying well it must be affectation he would not hear of my attending the funeral or going for a day or two to cheer poor frederick's solitude it was quite unnecessary he said and i was unreasonable to wish it what was my father to me i had never seen him but once since i was a baby and i well knew he had never cared a stiver about me and my brother too was little better than a stranger besides dear helen said he embracing me with flattering fondness i cannot spare you for a single day then how have you managed without me these many days said i ah then i was knocking about the world now i am at home and home without you my household deity would be intolerable yes as long as i am necessary to your comfort but you did not say so before when you urged me to leave you in order that you might get away from your home without me retorted i but before the words were well out of my mouth i regretted having uttered them it seemed so heavy a charge if false too gross an insult if true too humiliating a fact to be thus openly cast in his teeth but i might have spared myself that momentary pang of self-reproach the accusation awoke neither shame nor indignation in him he attempted neither denial nor excuse but only answered with a long low chuckling laugh 
as if he viewed the whole transaction as a clever merry jest from beginning to end surely that man will make me dislike him at last sin as ye brew my maiden fair keep mind that ye maun drink the yield yes and i will drink it to the very dregs and none but myself shall know how bitter i find it august twentieth we are shaken down again to about our usual position arthur has returned to nearly his former condition and habits and i have found it my wisest plan to shut my eyes against the past and future as far as he at least is concerned and live only for the present to love him when i can to smile if possible when he smiles be cheerful when he is cheerful and pleased when he is agreeable and when he is not to try to make him so and if that won't answer to bear with him to excuse him and forgive him as well as i can and restrain my own evil passions from aggravating his and yet while i thus yield and minister to his more harmless propensities to self-indulgence to do all in my power to save him from the worse but we shall not be long alone together i shall shortly be called upon to entertain the same select body of friends as we had the autumn before last with the addition of mr hattersley and at my special request his wife and child i long to see millicent and her little girl too the latter is now above a year old she will be a charming playmate for my little arthur september thirtieth our guests have been here a week or two but i have had no leisure to pass any comments upon them till now i cannot get over my dislike to lady lowborough it is not founded on mere personal pique it is the woman herself that i dislike because i so thoroughly disapprove of her i always avoid her company as much as i can without violating the laws of hospitality but when we do speak or converse together it is with the utmost civility even apparent cordiality on her part but preserve me from such cordiality it is like handling briar-roses and may-blossoms bright enough to the eye and outwardly soft to the touch but you know there are thorns beneath and every now and then you feel them too and perhaps resent the injury by crushing them in till you have destroyed their power though somewhat to the detriment of your own fingers of late however i have seen nothing in her conduct towards arthur to anger or alarm me during the first few days i thought she seemed very solicitous to win his admiration her efforts were not unnoticed by him i frequently saw him smiling to himself at her artful manoeuvres but to his praise be it spoken her shafts fell powerless by his side her most bewitching smiles her haughtiest frowns were ever received with the same immutable careless good-humour till finding he was indeed impenetrable she suddenly remitted her efforts and became to all appearance as perfectly indifferent as himself nor have i since witnessed any symptom of pique on his part or renewed attempts at conquest upon hers this is as it should be but arthur never will let me be satisfied with him i have never for a single hour since i married him known what it is to realize that sweet idea in quietness and confidence shall be your rest those two detestable men grimsby and hattersley have destroyed all my labour against his love of wine they encourage him daily to overstep the bounds of moderation and not unfrequently to disgrace himself by positive excess 
i shall not soon forget the second night after their arrival just as i had retired from the dining-room with the ladies before the door was closed upon us arthur exclaimed now then my lads what say you to a regular jollification millicent glanced at me with a half reproachful look as if i could hinder it but her countenance changed when she heard hattersley's voice shouting through door and wall i'm your man send for more wine here isn't half enough we had scarcely entered the drawing-room before we were joined by lord lowborough what can induce you to come so soon exclaimed his lady with a most ungracious air of dissatisfaction you know i never drink annabella replied he seriously well but you might stay with them a little it looks so silly to be always dangling after the women i wonder you can he reproached her with a look of mingled bitterness and surprise and sinking into a chair suppressed a heavy sigh bit his pale lips and fixed his eyes upon the floor you did right to leave them lord lowborough said i i trust you will always continue to honour us so early with your company and if annabella knew the value of true wisdom and the misery of folly and and intemperance she would not talk such nonsense even in jest he raised his eyes while i spoke and gravely turned them upon me with a half surprised half abstracted look and then bent them on his wife at least said she i know the value of a warm heart and a bold manly spirit and she pointed her words with a glance of triumph at me which seemed to say and that is more than you do and a look of scorn at her husband that entered into his soul i was intensely exasperated but it was not for me to reprove her or as it seemed to express my sympathy with her husband without insulting his feelings all i could do to obey my inward impulse was to hand him a cup of coffee bringing it to him myself and before i served either of the ladies by way of balancing her contempt by my exceeding deference he took it mechanically from my hand with a slight inclination and next minute rose and placed it untasted on the table looking not at it but at her well annabella said he in a deep and hollow tone since my presence is disagreeable to you i will relieve you of it are you going back to them then said she carelessly no exclaimed he with harsh and startling emphasis i will not go back to them and i will never stay with them one moment longer than i think right for you or any other tempter but you needn't mind that i shall never trouble you again by intruding my company upon you so unseasonably he left the room i heard the hall door open and shut and immediately after on putting aside the curtain i saw him pacing down the park in the comfortless gloom of the damp cloudy twilight such scenes as this are always disagreeable to witness our little party was completely silenced for a moment millicent played with her teaspoon and looked confounded and uncomfortable if annabella felt any shame or uneasiness she attempted to hide it by a short reckless laugh and calmly betook herself to her coffee it would serve you right annabella said i at length if lord lowborough were to return to his old habits which had so nearly effected his ruin and which it cost him such an effort to break you would then see cause to repent such conduct as this not at all my dear i should not mind if his lordship were to see fit to intoxicate himself every day i should only the sooner be rid of him oh annabella cried millicent how can you say such wicked things 
it would indeed be a just punishment as far as you are concerned if providence should take you at your word and make you feel what others feel that she paused as a sudden burst of loud talking and laughter reached us from the dining-room in which the voice of hattersley was pre-eminently conspicuous even to my unpractised ear what you feel at this moment i suppose said lady lowborough with a malicious smile fixing her eyes upon her cousin's distressed countenance the latter offered no reply but averted her face and brushed away a tear at that moment the door opened and admitted mr hargrave just a little flushed his dark eyes sparkling with unwonted vivacity oh i'm glad you've come walter cried his sister but i wish you could have got ralph to come too utterly impossible dear millicent replied he gaily i had much ado to get away myself ralph attempted to keep me by violence huntingdon threatened me with the eternal loss of his friendship and grimsby worse than all endeavoured to make me ashamed of my virtue by such galling sarcasms and innuendos as he knew would wound me the most so you see ladies you ought to make me welcome when i have braved and suffered so much for the favour of your sweet society he smilingly turned to me and bowed as he finished the sentence isn't he handsome now helen whispered millicent her sisterly pride overcoming for the moment all other considerations he would be i returned if that brilliance of eye and lip and cheek were natural to him but look again a few hours hence here the gentleman took a seat near me at the table and petitioned for a cup of coffee i consider this an apt illustration of heaven taken by storm said he as i handed one to him i am in paradise now but i have fought my way through flood and fire to win it ralph hattersley's last resource was to set his back against the door and swear i should find no passage but through his body a pretty substantial one too happily however that was not the only door and i effected my escape by the side entrance through the butler's pantry to the infinite amazement of benson who was cleaning the plate mr hargrave laughed and so did his cousin but his sister and i remained silent and grave pardon my levity mrs huntingdon murmured he more seriously as he raised his eyes to my face you are not used to these things you suffer them to affect your delicate mind too sensibly but i thought of you in the midst of those lawless roisterers and i endeavoured to persuade mr huntingdon to think of you too but to no purpose i fear he is fully determined to enjoy himself this night and it will be no use keeping the coffee waiting for him or his companions it will be much if they join us at tea meantime i earnestly wish i could banish the thoughts of them from your mind and my own too for i hate to think of them yes even of my dear friend huntingdon when i consider the power he possesses over the happiness of one so immeasurably superior to himself and the use he makes of it i positively detest the man you had better not say so to me then said i for bad as he is he is part of myself and you cannot abuse him without offending me pardon me then for i would sooner die than offend you but let us say no more of him for the present if you please he then entirely changed the subject of discourse and exerting all his powers to entertain our little circle conversed on different topics with more than his usual brilliance and fluency addressing himself sometimes exclusively to me sometimes to the whole trio of ladies annabella cheerfully bore her part in the conversation but i was sick at heart 
especially when loud bursts of laughter and incoherent songs pealing through the triple doors of hall and anteroom startled my ear and pierced my aching temples and millicent partly shared my feelings so that to us the evening appeared a very long one in spite of hargrave's apparently good-natured exertions to give it a contrary effect at last they came but not till after ten when tea which had been delayed for more than half an hour was nearly over much as i had longed for their coming my heart failed me at the riotous uproar of their approach and millicent turned pale and almost started from her seat as mr hattersley burst into the room with a clamorous volley of oaths in his mouth which hargrave endeavoured to check by entreating him to remember the ladies ah you do well to remind me of the ladies you dastardly deserter cried he shaking his formidable fist at his brother-in-law if it were not for them you well know i'd demolish you in the twinkling of an eye and give your body to the fowls of heaven and the lilies of the field then planting a chair by lady lowborough's side he stationed himself in it and began to talk to her with a mixture of absurdity and rascally impudence that seemed rather to amuse than to offend her though she affected to resent his insolence and to keep him at bay with sallies of smart and spirited repartee meantime mr grimsby seated himself by me in the chair vacated by hargrave as they entered and gravely stated that he would thank me for a cup of tea and arthur placed himself beside poor millicent confidentially pushing his head into her face and drawing in closer to her as she shrunk away from him he was not so noisy as hattersley but his face was exceedingly flushed he laughed incessantly and while i blushed for all i saw and heard of him i was glad that he chose to talk to his companion in so low a tone that no one could hear what he said but herself it must have been intolerable nonsense at best for she looked excessively annoyed and first went red in the face then indignantly pushed back her chair and finally took refuge behind me on the sofa arthur's sole intention seemed to have been to produce some such disagreeable effects he laughed immoderately on finding he had driven her away drawing in his chair to the table he leant his folded arms upon it and delivered himself up to a paroxysm of weak low foolish laughter when he was tired of this exercise he lifted his head and called aloud to hattersley and there ensued a clamorous contest between them about i know not what what fools they are drawled mr grimsby who had been talking away at my elbow with sententious gravity all the time but i had been too much absorbed in contemplating the deplorable state of the other two especially arthur to attend to him did you ever hear such nonsense as they talk mrs huntingdon he continued i'm quite ashamed of them for my part they can't take so much as a bottle between them without its getting into their heads you are pouring the cream into your saucer mr grimsby ah yes i see but we're almost in darkness here hargrave snuff those candles will you they're wax they don't require snuffing said i the light of the body is the eye observed hargrave with a sarcastic smile if thine eye be single thy whole body shall be full of light grimsby repulsed him with a solemn wave of the hand and then turning to me continued with the same drawling tones and strange uncertainty of utterance and heavy gravity of aspect as before but as i was saying mrs huntingdon they have no head at all they can't take half a bottle without being affected some way 
Whereas I, well, I've taken three times as much as they have tonight, and you see, I'm perfectly steady. Now that may strike you as very singular, but I think I can explain it. You see, their brains, I mention no names, but you'll understand to whom I allude, their brains are light to begin with, and the fumes of the fermented liquor render them lighter still, and produce an entire light-headedness or giddiness resulting in intoxication whereas my brains being composed of more solid materials will absorb a considerable quantity of this alcoholic vapour without the production of any sensible result i think you will find a sensible result produced on that tea interrupted mr hargrave by the quantity of sugar you have put into it instead of your usual complement of one lump you have put in six have i so replied the philosopher diving with his spoon into the cup and bringing up several half-dissolved pieces in confirmation of the assertion hm, i perceive thus madam you see the evil of absence of mind of thinking too much while engaged in the common concerns of life now if i had had my wits about me like ordinary men instead of within me like a philosopher i should not have spoiled this cup of tea and been constrained to trouble you for another with your permission i'll turn this into the slop basin that is the sugar basin mr grimsby now you have spoiled the sugar too and i'll thank you to ring for some more for here is lord lowborough at last and i hope his lordship will condescend to sit down with us such as we are and allow me to give him some tea his lordship gravely bowed in answer to my appeal but said nothing meantime hargrave volunteered to ring for the sugar while grimsby lamented his mistake and attempted to prove that it was owing to the shadow of the urn and the badness of the lights lord lowborough had entered a minute or two before unobserved by any one but me and been standing there before the door grimly surveying the company he now stepped up to annabella who sat with her back towards him with hattersley still beside her though not now attending to her being occupied in vociferously abusing and bullying his host well annabella said her husband as he leant over the back of her chair which of these three bold manly spirits would you have me to resemble by heaven and earth you shall resemble us all cried hattersley starting up and rudely seizing him by the arm hello huntingdon he shouted i've got him come man and help me and damn me body and soul if i don't make him blind drunk before i let him go he shall make up for all past delinquencies as sure as i'm a living soul there followed a disgraceful contest lord lowborough in desperate earnest and pale with anger silently struggling to release himself from the powerful madman that was striving to drag him from the room i attempted to urge arthur to interfere in behalf of his outraged guest but he could do nothing but laugh huntingdon you fool come and help me can't you cried hattersley himself somewhat weakened by his excesses i'm wishing you godspeed hattersley cried arthur and aiding you with my prayers i can't do anything else if my life depended on it i'm quite used up oh ho and leaning back in his seat he clapped his hands on his sides and groaned aloud annabella give me a candle said lowborough whose antagonist had now got him round the waist and was endeavouring to root him from the doorpost to which he madly clung with all the energy of desperation i shall take no part in your rude sports replied the lady coldly drawing back i wonder you can expect it but i snatched up a candle and brought it to him he took it and held the flame to hattersley's hands till roaring like a wild beast 
the latter unclasped them and let him go he vanished i suppose to his own apartment for nothing more was seen of him till the morning swearing and cursing like a maniac hattersley threw himself on to the ottoman beside the window the door being now free millicent attempted to make her escape from the scene of her husband's disgrace but he called her back and insisted upon her coming to him what do you want ralph murmured she reluctantly approaching him i want to know what's the matter with you said he pulling her on to his knee like a child what are you crying for millicent tell me i'm not crying you are persisted he rudely pulling her hands from her face how dare you tell such a lie i'm not crying now pleaded she but you have been and just this minute too and i will know what for come now you shall tell me do let me alone ralph remember we are not at home no matter you shall answer my question exclaimed her tormentor and he attempted to extort the confession by shaking her and remorselessly crushing her slight arms in the grip of his powerful fingers don't let him treat your sister in that way said i to mr hargrave come now hattersley i can't allow that said that gentleman stepping up to the ill-assorted couple you let my sister alone if you please and he made an effort to unclasp the ruffian's fingers from her arm but was suddenly driven backward and nearly laid upon the floor by a violent blow in the chest accompanied with the admonition take that for your insolence and learn to interfere between me and mine again if you were not beastly drunk i'd have satisfaction for that gasped hargrave white and breathless as much from passion as from the immediate effects of the blow go to the devil responded his brother-in-law now millicent tell me what you were crying for i'll tell you some other time murmured she when we are alone tell me now said he with another shake and a squeeze that made her draw in her breath and bite her lip to suppress a cry of pain i'll tell you mr hattersley said i she was crying from pure shame and humiliation for you because she could not bear to see you conduct yourself so disgracefully confound you madam muttered he with a stare of stupid amazement at my impudence it was not that was it millicent she was silent come speak up child i can't tell now sobs she but you can say yes or no as well as i can't tell come yes she whispered hanging her head and blushing at the awful acknowledgment curse you for an impertinent hussy then cried he throwing her from him with such violence that she fell on her side but she was up again before either i or her brother could come to her assistance and made the best of her way out of the room and i suppose upstairs without loss of time the next object of assault was arthur who sat opposite and had no doubt richly enjoyed the whole scene now huntingdon exclaimed his irascible friend i will not have you sitting there and laughing like an idiot oh hattersley cried he wiping his swimming eyes you'll be the death of me yes i will but not as you suppose i'll have the heart out of your body man if you irritate me with any more of that imbecile laughter what are you at it yet there see if that'll settle you cried hattersley snatching up a footstool and hurling it at the head of his host but he missed his aim and the latter still sat collapsed and quaking with feeble laughter with the tears running down his face a deplorable spectacle indeed hattersley tried cursing and swearing but it would not do he then took a number of books from the table beside him and threw them one by one at the object of his wrath but arthur only laughed the more 
and finally hattersley rushed upon him in a frenzy and seizing him by the shoulders gave him a violent shaking under which he laughed and shrieked alarmingly but i saw no more i thought i had witnessed enough of my husband's degradation and leaving annabella and the rest to follow when they pleased i withdrew but not to bed dismissing rachel to her rest i walked up and down my room in an agony of misery for what had been done and suspense not knowing what might further happen or how or when that unhappy creature would come up to bed at last he came slowly and stumblingly ascending the stairs supported by grimsby and hattersley who neither of them walked quite steadily themselves but were both laughing and joking at him and making noise enough for all the servants to hear he himself was no longer laughing now but sick and stupid i will write no more about that such disgraceful scenes or nearly such have been repeated more than once i don't say much to arthur about it for if i did it would do more harm than good but i let him know that i intensely dislike such exhibitions and each time he has promised they should never again be repeated but i fear he is losing the little self-command and self-respect he once possessed formerly he would have been ashamed to act thus at least before any other witnesses than his boon companions or such as they his friend hargrave with a prudence and self-government that i envy for him never disgraces himself by taking more than sufficient to render him a little elevated and is always the first to leave the table after lord lowborough who wiser still perseveres in vacating the dining-room immediately after us but never once since annabella offended him so deeply has he entered the drawing-room before the rest always spending the interim in the library which i take care to have lighted for his accommodation or on fine moonlight nights in roaming about the grounds but i think she regrets her misconduct for she has never repeated it since and of late she has comported herself with wonderful propriety towards him treating him with more uniform kindness and consideration than ever i have observed her to do before i date the time of this improvement from the period when she ceased to hope and strive for arthur's admiration end of volume two chapter twelve recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter thirteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter thirteen comparisons information rejected october fifth esther hargrave is getting a fine girl she is not out of the schoolroom yet but her mother frequently brings her over to call in the mornings when the gentlemen are out and sometimes she spends an hour or two in company with her sister and me and the children and when we go to the grove i always contrive to see her and talk more to her than to any one else for i am very much attached to my little friend and so is she to me i wonder what she can see to like in me though for i am no longer the happy lively girl i used to be but she has no other society save that of her uncongenial mother and her governess as artificial and conventional a person as that prudent mother could procure to rectify the pupil's natural qualities and now and then her subdued quiet sister 
i often wonder what will be her lot in life and so does she but her speculations on the future are full of buoyant hope so were mine once i shudder to think of her being awakened like me to a sense of their delusive vanity it seems as if i should feel her disappointment even more deeply than my own i feel almost as if i were born for such a fate but she is so joyous and fresh so light of heart and free of spirit and so guileless and unsuspecting too oh it would be cruel to make her feel as i feel now and know what i have known her sister trembles for her too yesterday morning one of october's brightest loveliest days millicent and i were in the garden enjoying a brief half-hour together with our children while annabella was lying on the drawing-room sofa deep in the last new novel we had been romping with the little creatures almost as merry and wild as themselves and now paused in the shade of the tall copper beech to recover breath and rectify our hair disordered by the rough play and the frolicsome breeze while they toddled together along the broad sunny walk my arthur supporting the feebler steps of her little helen and sagaciously pointing out to her the brightest beauties of the border as they passed with semi-articulate prattle that did as well for her as any other mode of discourse from laughing at the pretty sight we began to talk of the children's future life and that made us thoughtful we both relapsed into silent musing as we slowly proceeded up the walk and i suppose millicent by a train of associations was led to think of her sister helen said she you often see esther don't you not very often but you have more frequent opportunities of meeting her than i have and she loves you i know and reverences you too there is nobody's opinion she thinks so much of and she says you have more sense than mamma well that is because she is self-willed and my opinions more generally coincide with her own than your mamma's but what then millicent well since you have so much influence with her i wish you would seriously impress it upon her never on any account or for anybody's persuasion to marry for the sake of money or rank or establishment or any earthly thing but true affection and well-grounded esteem there is no necessity for that said i for we have had some discourse on that subject already and i assure you her ideas of love and matrimony are as romantic as any one could desire but romantic notions will not do i want her to have true notions well very right but in my judgment what the world stigmatizes as romantic is often more nearly allied to the truth than is commonly supposed for if the generous ideas of youth are too often overclouded by the sordid views of afterlife that scarcely proves them to be false well but if you think her ideas are what they ought to be strengthen them will you and confirm them as far as you can for i had romantic notions once and i don't mean to say that i regret my lot for i am quite sure i don't but i understand you said i you are contented for yourself but you would not have your sister to suffer the same as you no or worse she might have far worse to suffer than i for i am really contented helen though you mayn't think it i speak the solemn truth in saying that i would not exchange my husband for any man on earth if i might do it by the plucking of this leaf well i believe you now that you have him you would not exchange him for another but then you would gladly exchange some of his qualities for those of better men yes 
just as i would gladly exchange some of my own qualities for those of better women for neither he nor i are perfect and i desire his improvement as earnestly as my own and he will improve don't you think so helen he's only six and twenty yet he may i answered he will he will repeated she excuse the faintness of my acquiescence millicent i would not discourage your hopes for the world but mine have been so often disappointed that i am become as cold and doubtful in my expectations as the flattest of octogenarians and yet you do hope still even for mr huntingdon i do i confess even for him for it seems as if life and hope must cease altogether and is he so much worse millicent than mr hattersley well to give you my candid opinion i think there is no comparison between them but you mustn't be offended helen for you know i always speak my mind and you may speak yours too i shan't care i am not offended love and my opinion is that if there be a comparison made between the two the difference for the most part is certainly in hattersley's favour millicent's own heart told her how much it cost me to make this acknowledgment and with a childlike impulse she expressed her sympathy by suddenly kissing my cheek without a word of reply and then turning quickly away caught up her baby and hid her face in its frock how odd it is that we so often weep for each other's distresses when we shed not a tear for our own her heart had been full enough of her own sorrows but it overflowed at the idea of mine and i too shed tears at the sight of her sympathetic emotion though i had not wept for myself for many a week but millicent's satisfaction in her choice is not entirely feigned she really loves her husband and it is too true that he loses nothing by comparison with mine either he is less unbridled in his excesses or owing to his stronger hardier frame they produce a much less deleterious effect upon him for he never reduces himself to a state in any degree bordering on imbecility and with him the worst effect of a night's debauch is a slight increase of irascibility or it may be a season of sullen ferocity on the following morning there is nothing of that lost depressing appearance that peevish ignoble fretfulness that wears one out with very shame for the transgressor but then it was not formerly so with arthur he can bear less now than he could at hattersley's age and if the latter does not reform his powers of endurance may be equally impaired when he has tried them as long he has five years the advantage of his friend and his vices have not mastered him yet he has not folded them to him and made them a part of himself they seem to sit loose upon him like a cloak that he could throw aside at any moment if he would but how long will that option be left him though a creature of passion and sense regardless of the duties and the higher privileges of intelligent beings he is no voluptuary he prefers the more active and invigorating animal enjoyments to those of a more relaxing enervating kind he does not make a science of the gratification of his appetites either in the pleasures of the table or anything else he eats heartily what is set before him without demeaning himself by any of that abandonment to the palate and the eye that unbecoming particularity in approval or disapproval which it is so hateful to witness in those we would esteem arthur i fear would give himself up to luxury as the chief good and might ultimately plunge into the grossest excesses 
but for the fear of irremediably blunting his appetites and destroying his powers of further enjoyment for hattersley graceless ruffian as he is i believe there is more reasonable ground of hope and far be it from me to blame poor millicent for his delinquencies but i do think that if she had the courage or the will to speak her mind about them and maintain her point unflinchingly there would be more chance of his reclamation and he would be likely to treat her better and love her more in the end i am partly led to think so by what he said to me himself not many days ago i purpose to give her a little advice on the subject some time but still i hesitate from the consciousness that her ideas and disposition are both against it and if my counsels failed to do good they would do harm by making her more unhappy it was one rainy day last week most of the company were killing time in the billiard-room but millicent and i were with little arthur and helen in the library and between our books our children and each other we expected to make out a very agreeable morning we had not been thus secluded above two hours however when mr hattersley came in attracted i suppose by the voice of his child as he was crossing the hall for he is prodigiously fond of her and she of him he was redolent of the stables where he had been regaling himself with the company of his fellow-creatures the horses ever since breakfast but that was no matter to my little namesake as soon as the colossal person of her father darkened the door she uttered a shrill scream of delight and quitting her mother's side ran crowing towards him balancing her course with outstretched arms and embracing his knee threw back her head and laughed in his face he might well look smilingly down upon those small fair features radiant with innocent mirth those clear blue shining eyes and that soft flaxen hair cast back upon the little ivory neck and shoulders did he not think how unworthy he was of such a possession i fear no such idea crossed his mind he caught her up and there followed some minutes of very rough play during which it is difficult to say whether the father or the daughter laughed and shouted the loudest at length however the boisterous pastime terminated suddenly as might be expected the little one was hurt and began to cry and its ungentle playfellow tossed it into its mother's lap bidding her make all straight as happy to return to that gentle comforter as it had been to leave her the child nestled in her arms and hushed its cries in a moment and sinking its little weary head on her bosom soon dropped asleep meantime mr hattersley strode up to the fire and interposing his height and breadth between us and it stood with arms akimbo expanding his chest and gazing round him as if the house and all its appurtenances and contents were his own undisputed possessions deuced bad weather this he began there'll be no shooting to-day i guess then suddenly lifting up his voice he regaled us with a few bars of a rollicking song which abruptly ceasing he finished the tune with a whistle and then continued i say mrs huntingdon what a fine stud your husband has not large but good i've been looking at them a bit this morning and upon my word black bess and grey tom and that young nimrod are the finest animals i've seen for many a day then followed a particular discussion of their various merits succeeded by a sketch of the great things he intended to do in the horse-jockey line when his old governor thought proper to quit the stage not that i wish him to close his accounts added he 
the old trojan is welcome to keep his books open as long as he pleases for me i hope so indeed mr hattersley oh yes it's only my way of talking the event must come sometime and so i look to the bright side of it that's the right plan isn't it mrs h what are you two doing here by the by where's lady lowborough in the billiard-room what a splendid creature she is continued he fixing his eyes on his wife who changed colour and looked more and more disconcerted as he proceeded what a noble figure she has and what magnificent black eyes and what a fine spirit of her own and what a tongue of her own too when she likes to use it i perfectly adore her but never mind millicent i wouldn't have her for my wife not if she'd a kingdom for her dowry i'm better satisfied with the one i have now then what do you look so sulky for don't you believe me yes i believe you murmured she in a tone of half sad half sullen resignation as she turned away to stroke the hair of her sleeping infant that she had laid on the sofa beside her well then what makes you so cross come here milly and tell me why you can't be satisfied with my assurance she went and putting her little hand within his arm looked up in his face and said softly what does it amount to ralph only to this that though you admire annabella so much and for qualities that i don't possess you would still rather have me than her for your wife which merely proves that you don't think it necessary to love your wife you are satisfied if she can keep your house and take care of your child but i'm not cross i'm only sorry for added she in a low tremulous accent withdrawing her hand from his arm and bending her looks on the rug if you don't love me you don't and it can't be helped oh, very true but who told you i didn't did i say i loved annabella you said you adored her true but adoration isn't love i adore annabella but i don't love her and i love thee millicent but i don't adore thee in proof of his affection he clutched a handful of her light brown ringlets and appeared to twist them unmercifully do you really ralph murmured she with a faint smile beaming through her tears just putting up her hand to his in token that he pulled rather too hard to be sure i do responded he only you bother me rather sometimes i bother you cried she in very natural surprise yes you but only by your exceeding goodness when a boy has been cramming raisins and sugar-plums all day he longs for a squeeze of sour orange by way of a change and did you never milly observe the sands on the seashore how nice and smooth they look and how soft and easy they feel to the foot but if you plod along for half an hour over this soft easy carpet giving way at every step yielding the more the harder you press you'll find it rather wearisome work and be glad enough to come to a bit of good firm rock that won't budge an inch whether you stand walk or stamp upon it and though it be hard as the nether millstone you'll find it the easier footing after all i know what you mean ralph said she nervously playing with her watch-guard and tracing the figure on the rug with the point of her tiny foot i know what you mean but i thought you always liked to be yielded to and i can't alter now i do like it replied he bringing her to him by another tug at her hair you mustn't mind my talk milly a man must have something to grumble about and if he can't complain that his wife harries him to death with her perversity and ill-humour he must complain that she wears him out with her kindness and gentleness but why complain at all unless because you are tired and dissatisfied 
to excuse my own failings to be sure do you think i'll bear all the burden of my sins on my own shoulders as long as there's another ready to help me with none of her own to carry there's no such one on earth said she seriously and then taking his hand from her head she kissed it with an air of genuine devotion and tripped away to the door what now said he where are you going to tidy my hair she answered smiling through her disordered locks you've made it all come down off with you then an excellent little woman he remarked when she was gone but a thought too soft she almost melts in one's hands i positively think i ill-use her sometimes when i've taken too much but i can't help it for she never complains either at the time or after i suppose she doesn't mind it i can enlighten you on that subject mr hattersley said i she does mind it and some other things she minds still more which yet you may never hear her complain of how do you know does she complain to you demanded he with a sudden spark of fury ready to burst into a flame if i should answer yes no i replied but i have known her longer and studied her more closely than you have done and i can tell you mr hattersley that millicent loves you more than you deserve and that you have it in your power to make her very happy instead of which you are her evil genius and i will venture to say there is not a single day passes in which you do not inflict upon her some pang that you might spare her if you would well it's not my fault said he gazing carelessly up at the ceiling and plunging his hands into his pockets if my ongoings don't suit her she should tell me so is she not exactly the wife you wanted did you not tell mr huntingdon you must have one that would submit to anything without a murmur and never blame you whatever you did true but we shouldn't always have what we want it spoils the best of us doesn't it how can i help playing the deuce when i see it's all one to her whether i behave like a christian or like a scoundrel such as nature made me and how can i help teasing her when she's so invitingly meek and mim when she lies down like a spaniel at my feet and never so much as squeaks to tell me that's enough if you are a tyrant by nature the temptation is strong i allow but no generous mind delights to oppress the weak but rather to cherish and protect i don't oppress her but it's so confounded flat to be always cherishing and protecting and then how can i tell that i am oppressing her when she melts away and makes no sign i sometimes think she has no feeling at all and then i go on till she cries and that satisfies me then you do delight to oppress her i don't i tell you only when i'm in a bad humour or a particularly good one and want to afflict for the pleasure of comforting or when she looks flat and wants shaking up a bit and sometimes she provokes me by crying for nothing and won't tell me what it's for and then i allow it enrages me past bearing especially when i'm not my own man as is no doubt generally the case on such occasions said i but in future mr hattersley when you see her looking flat or crying for nothing as you call it ascribe it all to yourself be assured it is something you have done amiss or your general misconduct that distresses her i don't believe it if it were she should tell me so i don't like that way of moping and fretting in silence and saying nothing it's not honest how can she expect me to mend my ways at that rate perhaps she gives you credit for having more sense than you possess and deludes herself with the hope that you will one day see your own errors and repair them if left to your own reflection none of your sneers mrs huntingdon i have the sense to see that i'm not always quite correct 
but sometimes i think that's no great matter as long as i injure nobody but myself it is a great matter interrupted i both to yourself as you will hereafter find to your cost and to all connected with you most especially your wife but indeed it is nonsense to talk about injuring no one but yourself it is impossible to injure yourself especially by such acts as we allude to without injuring hundreds if not thousands besides in a greater or less degree either by the evil you do or the good you leave undone and as i was saying continued he or would have said if you hadn't taken me up so short i sometimes think i should do better if i were joined to one that would always remind me when i was wrong and give me a motive for doing good and eschewing evil by decidedly showing her approval of the one and disapproval of the other if you had no higher motive than the approval of your fellow-mortal it would do you little good well but if i had a mate that would not always be yielding and always equally kind but that would have the spirit to stand at bay now and then and honestly tell me her mind at all times such a one as yourself for instance now if i went on with you as i do with her when i'm in london you'd make the house too hot to hold me at times i'll be sworn you mistake me i'm no termagant well all the better for that for i can't stand contradiction in a general way and i'm as fond of my own will as another only i think too much of it doesn't answer for any man well i would never contradict you without a cause but certainly i would always let you know what i thought of your conduct and if you oppressed me in body mind or estate you should at least have no reason to suppose i didn't mind it i know that my lady and i think if my little wife were to follow the same plan it would be better for us both i'll tell her no no let her be there's much to be said on both sides and now i think upon it huntingdon often regrets that you are not more like her scoundrelly dog that he is and you see after all you can't reform him he's ten times worse than i he's afraid of you to be sure that is he's always on his best behaviour in your presence but i wonder what his worst behaviour is like then i could not forbear observing why to tell you the truth it's very bad indeed isn't it hargrave said he addressing that gentleman who had entered the room unperceived by me for i was now standing near the fire with my back to the door isn't huntingdon he continued as great a reprobate as ever was damned his lady will not hear him censured with impunity replied mr hargrave coming forward but i must say i thank god i am not such another perhaps it would become you better said i to look at what you are and say god be merciful to me a sinner you are severe returned he bowing slightly and drawing himself up with a proud yet injured air hattersley laughed and clapped him on the shoulder moving from under his hand with a gesture of insulted dignity mr hargrave took himself away to the other end of the rug isn't it a shame mrs huntingdon cried his brother-in-law i struck walter hargrave when i was drunk the second night after we came and he's turned a cold shoulder on me ever since though i asked his pardon the very morning after it was done your manner of asking it returned the other and the clearness with which you remembered the whole transaction showed you were not too drunk to be fully conscious of what you were about and quite responsible for the deed you wanted to interfere between me and my wife grumbled hattersley and that is enough to provoke any man you justify it then said his opponent darting upon him a most vindictive glance no i tell you i wouldn't have done it if i hadn't been under excitement 
and if you choose to bear malice for it after all the handsome things i've said do so and be damned i would refrain from such language in a lady's presence at least said mr hargrave hiding his anger under a mask of disgust what have i said returned hattersley nothing but heaven's truth he will be damned won't he mrs huntingdon if he doesn't forgive his brother's trespasses you ought to forgive him mr hargrave since he asks you said i do you say so then i will and smiling almost frankly he stepped forward and offered his hand it was immediately clasped in that of his relative and the reconciliation was apparently cordial on both sides the affront continued hargrave turning to me owed half its bitterness to the fact of its being offered in your presence and since you bid me forgive it i will and forget it too i guess the best return i can make will be to take myself off muttered hattersley with a broad grin his companion smiled and he left the room this put me on my guard mr hargrave turned seriously to me and earnestly began dear mrs huntingdon how i have longed for yet dreaded this hour do not be alarmed he added for my face was crimson with anger i am not about to offend you with any useless entreaties or complaints i am not going to presume to trouble you with the mention of my own feelings or your perfections but i have something to reveal to you which you ought to know and which yet it pains me inexpressibly then don't trouble yourself to reveal it but it is of importance if so i shall hear it soon enough especially if it is bad news as you seem to consider it at present i am going to take the children to the nursery but can't you ring and send them no i want the exercise of a run to the top of the house come arthur but you will return not yet don't wait then when may i see you again at lunch said i departing with little helen in one arm and leading arthur by the hand he turned away muttering some sentence of impatient censure or complaint in which heartless was the only distinguishable word what nonsense is this mr hargrave said i pausing in the doorway what do you mean oh nothing i did not intend you should hear my soliloquy but the fact is mrs huntingdon i have a disclosure to make painful for me to offer as for you to hear and i want you to give me a few minutes of your attention in private at any time and place you like to appoint it is from no selfish motive that i ask it and not for any cause that could alarm your superhuman purity therefore you need not kill me with that look of cold and pitiless disdain i know too well the feelings with which the bearers of bad tidings are commonly regarded not to what is this wonderful piece of intelligence said i impatiently interrupting him if it is anything of real importance speak it in three words before i go in three words i cannot send those children away and stay with me no keep your bad tidings to yourself i know it is something i don't want to hear and something you would displease me by telling you have divined too truly i fear but still since i know it i feel it my duty to disclose it to you oh spare us both the infliction and i will exonerate you from the duty you have offered to tell i have refused to hear my ignorance will not be charged on you be it so you shall not hear it from me but if the blow fall too suddenly upon you when it comes remember i wished to soften it i left him i was determined his words should not alarm me what could he of all men have to reveal that was of importance for me to hear it was no doubt some exaggerated tale about my unfortunate husband 
that he wished to make the most of to serve his own bad purposes sixth he has not alluded to this momentous mystery since and i have seen no reason to repent of my unwillingness to hear it the threatened blow has not been struck yet and i do not greatly fear it at present i am pleased with arthur he has not positively disgraced himself for upwards of a fortnight and all this last week has been so very moderate in his indulgence at table that i can perceive a marked difference in his general temper and appearance dare i hope this will continue end of volume two chapter thirteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter fourteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter fourteen two evenings seventh yes i will hope to-night i heard grimsby and hattersley grumbling together about the inhospitality of their host they did not know i was near for i happened to be standing behind the curtain in the bow of the window watching the moon rising over the clump of tall dark elm-trees below the lawn and wondering why arthur was so sentimental as to stand without leaning against the outer pillar of the portico apparently watching it too so i suppose we've seen the last of our merry carousals in this house said mr hattersley i thought his good fellowship wouldn't last long but added he laughing i didn't expect it would meet its end this way i rather thought our pretty hostess would be setting up her porcupine quills and threatening to turn us out of the house if we didn't mind our manners you didn't foresee this then answered grimsby with a guttural chuckle but he'll change again when he's sick of her if we come here a year or two hence we shall have all our own way you'll see i don't know replied the other she's not the style of woman you soon tire of but be that as it may it's devilish provoking now that we can't be jolly because he chooses to be on his good behaviour it's all these cursed women muttered grimsby they're the very bane of the world they bring trouble and discomfort wherever they come with their false fair faces and their damned deceitful tongues at this juncture i issued from my retreat and smiling on mr grimsby as i passed left the room and went out in search of arthur having seen him bend his course towards the shrubbery i followed him thither and found him just entering the shadowy walk i was so light of heart so overflowing with affection that i sprang upon him and clasped him in my arms the singular conduct had a singular effect upon him first he murmured bless you darling and returned my close embrace with a fervour like old times and then he started and in a tone of absolute terror exclaimed helen what the devil is this and i saw by the faint light gleaming through the overshadowing tree that he was positively pale with the shock how strange that the instinctive impulse of affection should come first and then the shock of the surprise it shows at least that the affection is genuine he is not sick of me yet i startled you arthur said i laughing in my glee how nervous you are what the deuce did you do it for cried he quite testily extricating himself from my arms and wiping his forehead with his handkerchief go back helen go back directly you'll get your death of cold 
i won't till i've told you what i came for they are blaming you arthur for your temperance and sobriety and i am come to thank you for it they say it is all these cursed women and that we are the bane of the world but don't let them laugh or grumble you out of your good resolutions or your affection for me he laughed i squeezed him in my arms again and cried in tearful earnest do do persevere and i'll love you better than ever i did before well well i will said he hastily kissing me there now go you mad creature how could you come out in your light evening dress this chill autumn night it is a glorious night said i it is a night that will give you your death in another minute run away do do you see my death among those trees arthur said i for he was gazing intently at the shrubs as if he saw it coming and i was reluctant to leave him in my new-found happiness and revival of hope and love but he grew angry at my delay so i kissed him and ran back to the house i was in such a good humour that night millicent told me i was the life of the party and whispered she had never seen me so brilliant certainly i talked enough for twenty and smiled upon them all grimsby hattersley hargrave lady lowborough all shared my sisterly kindness grimsby stared and wondered hattersley laughed and jested in spite of the little wine he had been suffered to imbibe but still behaved as well as he knew how hargrave and annabella from different motives and in different ways emulated me and doubtless both surpassed me the former in his discursive versatility and eloquence the latter in boldness and animation at least millicent delighted to see her husband her brother and her overestimated friend acquitting themselves so well was lively and gay too in her quiet way even lord lowborough caught the general contagion his dark greenish eyes were lighted up beneath their moody brows his sombre countenance was beautified by smiles all traces of gloom and pride or cold reserve had vanished for the time and he astonished us all not only by his general cheerfulness and animation but by the positive flashes of true force and brilliance he emitted from time to time arthur did not talk much but he laughed and listened to the rest and was in perfect good humour though not excited by wine so that altogether we made a very merry innocent and entertaining party ninth yesterday when rachel came to dress me for dinner i saw that she had been crying i wanted to know the cause of it but she seemed reluctant to tell was she unwell no had she heard bad news from her friends no had any of the servants vexed her oh no ma'am she answered it's not for myself what then rachel have you been reading novels bless you no said she with a sorrowful shake of the head and then she sighed and continued but to tell you the truth ma'am i don't like master's way of going on what do you mean rachel he's going on very properly at present well ma'am if you think so it's right and she went on dressing my hair in a hurried way quite unlike her usual calm collected manner murmuring half to herself she was sure it was beautiful hair she could like to see him match it when it was done she fondly stroked it and gently patted my head is that affectionate ebullition intended for my hair or myself nurse said i laughingly turning round upon her but a tear was even now in her eye what do you mean rachel i exclaimed well ma'am i don't know but if if what well if i was you i wouldn't have that lady lowborough in the house another minute 
not another minute i wouldn't i was thunderstruck but before i could recover from the shock sufficiently to demand an explanation millicent entered my room as she frequently does when she is dressed before me and she stayed with me till it was time to go down she must have found me a very unsociable companion this time for rachel's last words rung in my ears but still i hoped i trusted they had no foundation but in some idle rumour of the servants from what they had seen in lady lowborough's manner last month or perhaps from something that had passed between their master and her during her former visit at dinner i narrowly observed both her and arthur and saw nothing extraordinary in the conduct of either nothing calculated to excite suspicion except in distrustful minds which mine was not and therefore i would not suspect almost immediately after dinner annabella went out with her husband to share his moonlight ramble for it was a splendid evening like the last mr hargrave entered the drawing-room a little before the others and challenged me to a game of chess he did it without any of that sad but proud humility he usually assumes in addressing me unless he is excited with wine i looked at his face to see if that was the case now his eye met mine keenly but steadily there was something about him i did not understand but he seemed sober enough not choosing to engage with him i referred him to millicent she plays badly said he i want to match my skill with yours come now you can't pretend you are reluctant to lay down your work i know you never take it up except to pass an idle hour when there is nothing better you can do but chess players are so unsociable i objected they are no company for any but themselves there is no one here but millicent and she oh i shall be delighted to watch you cried our mutual friend two such players it will be quite a treat i wonder which will conquer i consented now mrs huntingdon said hargrave as he arranged the men on the board speaking distinctly and with a peculiar emphasis as if he had a double meaning to all his words you are a good player but i am a better we shall have a long game and you will give me some trouble but i can be as patient as you and in the end i shall certainly win he fixed his eyes upon me with a glance i did not like keen crafty bold and almost impudent already half triumphant in his anticipated success i hope not mr hargrave returned i with vehemence that must have startled millicent at least but he only smiled and murmured time will show we set to work he sufficiently interested in the game but calm and fearless in the consciousness of superior skill i intensely eager to disappoint his expectations for i considered this the type of a more serious contest as i imagined he did and i felt an almost superstitious dread of being beaten at all events i could ill endure that present success should add one tittle to his conscious power his insolent self-confidence i ought to say or encourage for a moment his dream of future conquest his play was cautious and deep but i struggled hard against him for some time the combat was doubtful at length to my joy the victory seemed inclining to my side i had taken several of his best pieces and manifestly baffled his projects he put his hand to his brow and paused in evident perplexity i rejoiced in my advantage but dared not glory in it yet at length he lifted his head and quietly making his move looked at me and said calmly now you think you will win don't you i hope so replied i taking his pawn that he had pushed into the way of my bishop 
with so careless an air that i thought it was an oversight but was not generous enough under the circumstances to direct his attention to it and too heedless at the moment to foresee the after consequences of my move it is those bishops that trouble me said i but the bold knight can overleap the reverend gentleman taking my last bishop with his knight and now those sacred persons once removed i shall carry all before me oh walter how you talk cried millicent she has far more pieces than you still i intend to give you some trouble yet said i and perhaps sir you will find yourself checkmated before you are aware look to your queen the combat deepened the game was a long one and i did give him some trouble but he was a better player than i what keen gamesters you are said mr hattersley who had now entered and been watching us for some time why mrs huntingdon your hand trembles as if you had staked your all upon it and walter you dog you look as deep and cool as if you were certain of success and as keen and cruel as if you would drain her heart's blood but if i were you i wouldn't beat her for very fear she'll hate you if you do she will by heaven i see it in her eye hold your tongue will you said i his talk distracted me for i was driven to extremities a few more moves and i was inextricably entangled in the snare of my antagonist check cried he i saw in agony some means of escape mate he added quietly but with evident delight he had suspended the utterance of that last fatal syllable the better to enjoy my dismay i was foolishly disconcerted by the event hattersley laughed millicent was troubled to see me so disturbed hargrave placed his hand on mine that rested on the table and squeezing it with a firm but gentle pressure murmured beaten beaten and gazed into my face with a look where exultation was blended with an expression of ardour and tenderness yet more insulting no never mr hargrave exclaimed i quickly withdrawing my hand do you deny replied he smilingly pointing to the board no no i answered recollecting how strange my conduct must appear you have beaten me in that game will you try another then no you acknowledge my superiority yes as a chess player i rose to resume my work where is annabella said hargrave gravely after glancing round the room gone out with lord lowborough answered i for he looked at me for a reply and not yet returned he said seriously i suppose not where is huntingdon looking round again gone out with grimsby as you know said hattersley suppressing a laugh which broke forth as he concluded the sentence why did he laugh why did hargrave connect them thus together was it true then and was this the dreadful secret he had wished to reveal to me i must know and that quickly i instantly rose and left the room to go in search of rachel and demand an explanation of her words but mr hargrave followed me into the anteroom and before i could open its outer door gently laid his hand upon the lock may i tell you something mrs huntingdon said he in a subdued tone with serious downcast eyes if it be anything worth hearing replied i struggling to be composed for i trembled in every limb he quietly pushed a chair towards me i merely leant my hand upon it and bid him go on do not be alarmed said he what i wish to say is nothing in itself and i will leave you to draw your own inferences from it you say that annabella is not yet returned yes yes go on said i impatiently 
for i feared my forced calmness would lead me before the end of his disclosure whatever it might be and you hear continued he that huntingdon has gone out with grimsby well i heard the latter say to your husband or the man who calls himself so go on sir he bowed submissively and continued i heard him say i shall manage it you'll see they're gone down by the water i shall meet them there and tell him i want a bit of talk with him about some things that we needn't trouble the lady with and she'll say she can be walking back to the house and then i shall apologize you know and all that and tip her a wink to take the way of the shrubbery i'll keep him talking there about those matters i mentioned and anything else i can think of as long as i can and then bring him round the other way stopping to look at the trees the fields and anything else i can find to discourse of mr hargrave paused and looked at me without a word of comment or further questioning i rose and darted from the room and out of the house the torment of suspense was not to be endured i would not suspect my husband falsely on this man's accusation and i would not trust him unworthily i must know the truth at once i flew to the shrubbery scarcely had i reached it when a sound of voices arrested my breathless speed we have lingered too long he will be back said lady lowborough's voice surely not dearest was his reply but you can run across the lawn and get in as quietly as you can i'll follow in a while my knees trembled under me my brain swam round i was ready to faint she must not see me thus i shrunk among the bushes and leant against the trunk of a tree to let her pass ah huntingdon said she reproachfully pausing where i had stood with him the night before it was here you kissed that woman she looked back into the leafy shade advancing thus he answered with a careless laugh well dearest i couldn't help it you know i must keep straight with her as long as i can haven't i seen you kiss your dolt of a husband scores of times and do i ever complain but tell me don't you love her still a little said she placing her hand on his arm looking earnestly in his face for i could see them plainly the moon shining full upon them from between the branches of the tree that sheltered me not one bit by all that's sacred he replied kissing her glowing cheek good heavens i must be gone cried she suddenly breaking from him and away she flew there he stood before me but i had not strength to confront him now my tongue cleaved to the roof of my mouth i was well-nigh sinking to the earth and i almost wondered he did not hear the beating of my heart above the low sighing of the wind and the fitful rustle of the falling leaves my senses seemed to fail me but still i saw his shadowy form pass before me and through the rushing sound in my ears i distinctly heard him say as he stood looking up the lawn there goes the fool run annabella run there in with you ah he didn't see that's right grimsby keep him back and even his low laugh reached me as he walked away god help me now i murmured sinking on my knees among the damp weeds and brushwood that surrounded me and looking up at the moonlit sky through the scant foliage above it seemed all dim and quivering now to my darkened sight my burning bursting heart strove to pour forth its agony to god but could not frame its anguish into prayer until a gust of wind swept over me which while it scattered the dead leaves like blighted hopes around cooled my forehead and seemed a little to revive my sinking frame then while i lifted up my soul in speechless earnest application some heavenly influence seemed to strengthen me within 
i breathed more freely my vision cleared i saw distinctly the pure moon shining on and the light clouds skimming the clear dark sky and then i saw the eternal stars twinkling down upon me i knew their god was mine and he was strong to save and swift to hear i will never leave thee nor forsake thee seemed whispered from above their myriad orbs no no i felt he would not leave me comfortless in spite of earth and hell i should have strength for all my trials and win a glorious rest at last refreshed invigorated if not composed i rose and returned to the house much of my new-born strength and courage forsook me i confess as i entered it and shut out the fresh wind and the glorious sky everything i saw and heard seemed to sicken my heart the hall the lamp the staircase the doors of the different apartments the social sound of talk and laughter from the drawing-room how could i bear my future life in this house among those people oh how could i endure to live john just then entered the hall and seeing me told me he had been sent in search of me adding that he had taken in the tea and master wished to know if i were coming ask mrs hattersley to be so kind as to make the tea john said i say i am not well to-night and wish to be excused i retired into the large empty dining-room where all was silence and darkness but for the soft sighing of the wind without and the faint gleam of moonlight that pierced the blinds and curtains and there i walked rapidly up and down thinking of my bitter thoughts alone how different was this from the evening of yesterday that it seems was the last expiring flash of my life's happiness poor blinded fool that i was to be so happy i could now see the reason of arthur's strange reception of me in the shrubbery the burst of kindness was for his paramour the start of horror for his wife now too i could better understand the conversation between hattersley and grimsby it was doubtless of his love for her they spoke not for me i heard the drawing-room door open a light quick step came out of the anteroom crossed the hall and ascended the stairs it was millicent poor millicent gone to see how i was no one else cared for me but she still was kind i shed no tears before but now they came fast and free thus she did me good without approaching me disappointed in her search i heard her come down more slowly than she had ascended would she come in there and find me out no she turned in the opposite direction and re-entered the drawing-room i was glad for i knew not how to meet her or what to say i wanted no confidant in my distress i deserved none and i wanted none i had taken the burden upon myself let me bear it alone as the usual hour of retirement approached i dried my eyes and tried to clear my voice and calm my mind i must see arthur to-night and speak to him but i would do it calmly there should be no scene nothing to complain or to boast of to his companions nothing to laugh at with his lady love when the company were retiring to their chambers i gently opened the door and just as he passed i beckoned him in what's to do with you helen said he why couldn't you come to make tea for us and what the deuce are you here for in the dark what ails you young woman you look like a ghost he continued surveying me by the light of his candle no matter i answered to you you have no longer any regard for me it appears and i have no longer any for you hallo what the devil is this he muttered i would leave you to-morrow continued i 
and never again come under this roof but for my child i paused a moment to steady my voice what in the devil's name is this helen cried he what can you be driving at you know perfectly well let us waste no time in useless explanation but tell me will you he vehemently swore he knew nothing about it and insisted upon hearing what poisonous old woman had been blackening his name and what infamous lies i had been fool enough to believe spare yourself the trouble of forswearing yourself and racking your brains to stifle truth with falsehood i coldly replied i have trusted to the testimony of no third person i was in the shrubbery this evening and i saw and heard for myself this was enough he uttered a suppressed explanation of consternation and dismay and muttering i shall catch it now set down his candle on the nearest chair and rearing his back against the wall stood confronting me with folded arms well what then said he with the calm insolence of mingled shamelessness and desperation only this returned i will you let me take our child and what remains of my fortune and go go where anywhere where he will be safe from your contaminating influence and i shall be delivered from your presence and you from mine no by jove i won't will you let me have the child then without the money no nor yourself without the child do you think i'm going to be made the talk of the country for your fastidious caprices that i must stay here to be hated and despised but henceforth we are husband and wife only in the name very good i am the child's mother and your housekeeper nothing more so you need not trouble yourself any longer to feign the love you cannot feel i will exact no more heartless caresses from you nor offer nor endure them either i will not be mocked with the empty husk of conjugal endearments when you have given the substance to another very good if you please we shall see who will tire first my lady if i tire it will be of living in the world with you not of living without your mockery of love when you tire of your sinful ways and show yourself truly repentant i will forgive you and perhaps try to love you again though that will be hard indeed <laughs> and meantime you will go and talk me over to mrs hargrave and write long letters to aunt maxwell to complain of the wicked wretch you have married i shall complain to no one hitherto i have struggled hard to hide your vices from every eye and invest you with virtues you never possessed but now you must look to yourself i left him muttering bad language to himself and went upstairs you are poorly ma'am said rachel surveying me with deep anxiety it is too true rachel said i answering her sad looks rather than her words i knew it or i wouldn't have mentioned such a thing but don't you trouble yourself about it said i kissing her pale time-wasted cheek i can bear it better than you imagine yes you were always for bearing but if i was you i wouldn't bear it i'd give way to it and cry right hard and i'd talk too i just would i'd let him know what it was to i have talked said i i've said enough then i'd cry persisted she i wouldn't look so white and so calm and burst my heart with keeping it in i have cried said i smiling in spite of my misery and i am calm now really so don't discompose me again nurse let us say no more about it and don't mention it to the servants there you may go now good night and don't disturb your rest for me i shall sleep well if i can notwithstanding this resolution i found my bed so intolerable that before two o'clock i rose 
and lighting my candle by the rushlight that was still burning i got my desk and sat down in my dressing-gown to recount the events of the past evening it was better to be so occupied than to be lying in bed torturing my brain with recollections of the far past and anticipations of the dreadful future i have found relief in describing the very circumstances that have destroyed my peace as well as the little trivial details attendant upon their discovery no sleep i could have got this night would have done so much towards composing my mind and preparing me to meet the trials of the day i fancy so at least and yet when i cease writing i find my head aches terribly and when i look into the glass i am startled at my haggard worn appearance rachel has been to dress me and says i have had a sad night of it she can see millicent has just looked in to ask me how i was i told her i was better but to excuse my appearance admitted i had had a restless night i wish this day were over i shudder at the thoughts of going down to breakfast how shall i encounter them all yet let me remember it is not i that am guilty i have no cause to fear and if they scorn me as the victim of their guilt i can pity their folly and despise their scorn end of volume two chapter fourteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter fifteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter fifteen concealment evening breakfast passed well over i was calm and cool throughout i answered composedly all inquiries respecting my health and whatever was unusual in my look or manner was generally attributed to the trifling indisposition that had occasioned my early retirement last night but how am i to get over the ten or twelve days that must yet elapse before they go yet why so long for their departure when they are gone how shall i get through the months or years of my future life in company with that man my greatest enemy for none could injure me as he has done oh when i think how fondly how foolishly i have loved him how madly i have trusted him how constantly i have laboured and studied and prayed and struggled for his advantage and how cruelly he has trampled on my love betrayed my trust scorned my prayers and tears and efforts for his preservation crushed my hopes destroyed my youth's best feelings and doomed me to a life of hopeless misery as far as man can do it it is not enough to say that i no longer love my husband i hate him the word stares me in the face like a guilty confession but it is true i hate him i hate him but god have mercy on his miserable soul and make him see and feel his guilt i ask no other vengeance if he could but fully know and truly feel my wrongs i should be well avenged and i could freely pardon all but he is so lost so hardened in his heartless depravity that in this life i believe he never will but it is useless dwelling on this theme let me seek once more to dissipate reflection in the minor details of passing events mr hargrave has annoyed me all day long with his serious sympathizing and as he thinks unobtrusive politeness if it were more obtrusive it would trouble me less for then i could snub him but as it is he contrives to appear so really kind and thoughtful 
that i cannot do so without rudeness and seeming ingratitude i sometimes think i ought to give him credit for the good feeling he simulates so well and then again i think it is my duty to suspect him under the peculiar circumstances in which i am placed his kindness may not all be feigned but still let not the purest impulse of gratitude to him induce me to forget myself let me remember the game of chess the expressions he used on the occasion and those indescribable looks of his that so justly roused my indignation and i think i shall be safe enough i have done well to record them so minutely i think he wishes to find an opportunity of speaking to me alone he has seemed to be on the watch all day but i have taken care to disappoint him not that i fear anything he could say but i have trouble enough without the addition of his insulting consolations condolences or whatever else he might attempt and for millicent's sake i do not wish to quarrel with him he excused himself from going out to shoot with the other gentlemen in the morning under the pretext of having letters to write and instead of retiring for that purpose into the library he sent for his desk into the morning-room where i was seated with millicent and lady lowborough they had betaken themselves to their work i less to divert my mind than to deprecate conversation had provided myself with a book millicent saw that i wished to be quiet and accordingly let me alone annabella doubtless saw it too but that was no reason why she should restrain her tongue or curb her cheerful spirits she accordingly chatted away addressing herself almost exclusively to me and with the utmost assurance and familiarity growing the more animated and friendly the colder and briefer my answers became mr hargrave saw that i could ill endure it and looking up from his desk he answered her questions and observations for me as far as he could and attempted to transfer her social attentions from me to himself but it would not do perhaps she thought i had a headache and could not bear to talk at any rate she saw that her loquacious vivacity annoyed me as i could tell by the malicious pertinacity with which she persisted but i checked it effectually by putting into her hand the book i had been trying to read on the fly-leaf of which i had hastily scribbled i am too well acquainted with your character and conduct to feel any real friendship for you and as i am without your talent for dissimulation i cannot assume the appearance of it i must therefore beg that hereafter all familiar intercourse may cease between us and if i still continue to treat you with civility as if you were a woman worthy of consideration and respect understand that it is out of regard for your cousin millicent's feelings not for yours upon perusing this she turned scarlet and bit her lip covertly tearing away the leaf she crumpled it up and put it in the fire and then employed herself in turning over the pages of the book and really or apparently perusing its contents in a little while millicent announced it her intention to repair to the nursery and asked if i would accompany her annabella will excuse us said she she's busy reading no i won't cried annabella suddenly looking up and throwing her book on the table i want to speak to helen a minute you may go millicent and she'll follow in a while millicent went will you oblige me helen continued she her impudence astounded me but i complied and followed her into the library she closed the door and walked up to the fire who told you this said she no one i am not incapable of seeing for myself ah you are suspicious cried she 
smiling with a gleam of hope hitherto there had been a kind of desperation in her hardihood now she was evidently relieved if i were suspicious i replied i should have discovered your infamy long before no lady lowborough i do not found my charge upon suspicion on what do you found it then said she throwing herself into an armchair and stretching out her feet to the fender with an obvious effort to appear composed i enjoy a moonlight ramble as well as you i answered steadily fixing my eyes upon her and the shrubbery happens to be one of my favourite resorts she coloured again excessively and remained silent pressing her finger against her teeth and gazing into the fire i watched her a few moments with a feeling of malevolent gratification then moving towards the door i calmly asked if she had anything more to say yes yes cried she eagerly starting up from her reclining posture i want to know if you will tell lord lowborough suppose i do well if you are disposed to publish the matter i cannot dissuade you of course but there will be terrible work if you do and if you don't i shall think you the most generous of mortal beings and if there is anything in the world i can do for you anything short of she hesitated short of renouncing your guilty connection with my husband i suppose you mean said i she paused in evident disconcertion and perplexity mingled with anger she dared not show i cannot renounce what is dearer than life she muttered in a low hurried tone then suddenly raising her head and fixing her gleaming eyes upon me she continued earnestly but helen or mrs huntingdon or whatever you would have me call you will you tell him if you are generous here is a fitting opportunity for the exercise of your magnanimity if you are proud here am i your rival ready to acknowledge myself your debtor for an act of the most noble forbearance i shall not tell him you will not cried she delightedly accept my sincere thanks then she sprang up and offered me her hand i drew back give me no thanks it is not for your sake that i refrain neither is it an act of any forbearance i have no wish to publish your shame i should be sorry to distress your husband with the knowledge of it and millicent will you tell her no on the contrary i shall do my utmost to conceal it from her i would not for much that she should know the infamy and disgrace of her relation you use hard words mrs huntingdon but i can pardon you and now lady lowborough continued i let me counsel you to leave this house as soon as possible you must be aware that your continuance here is excessively disagreeable to me not for mr huntingdon's sake said i observing the dawn of a malicious smile of triumph on her face you are welcome to him if you like him as far as i am concerned but because it is painful to be always disguising my true sentiments respecting you and straining to keep up an appearance of civility and respect towards one for whom i have not the most distant shadow of esteem and because if you stay your conduct cannot possibly remain concealed much longer from the only two persons in the house who do not know it already and for your husband's sake annabella and even for your own i wish i earnestly advise and entreat you to break off this unlawful connection at once and return to your duty while you may before the dreadful consequences yes yes of course said she interrupting me with a gesture of impatience but i cannot go helen before the time appointed for our departure what possible pretext could i frame for such a thing 
whether i propose going back alone which lowborough would not hear of or taking him with me the very circumstance itself would be certain to excite suspicion and when our visit is so nearly at an end too little more than a week surely you can endure my presence so long i will not annoy you with any more of my friendly impertinences well i have nothing more to say to you have you mentioned this affair to huntingdon asked she as i was leaving the room how dare you mention his name to me was the only answer i gave no words have passed between us since but such as outward decency or pure necessity demanded end of volume two chapter fifteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter sixteen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter sixteen provocations nineteenth in proportion as lady lowborough finds she has nothing to fear from me and as the time of departure draws nigh the more audacious and insolent she becomes she does not scruple to speak to my husband with affectionate familiarity in my presence when no one else is by and is particularly fond of displaying her interest in his health and welfare or in anything that concerns him as if for the purpose of contrasting her kind solicitude with my cold indifference and he rewards her by such smiles and glances such whispered words or boldly spoken insinuations indicative of his sense of her goodness and my neglect as makes the blood rush into my face in spite of myself for i would be utterly regardless of it all deaf and blind to everything that passes between them since the more i show myself sensible of their wickedness the more she triumphs in her victory and the more he flatters himself that i love him devotedly still in spite of my pretended indifference on such occasions i have sometimes been startled by a subtle fiendish suggestion inciting me to show him the contrary by a seeming encouragement of hargrave's advances but such ideas are banished in a moment with horror and self-abasement and then i hate him tenfold more than ever for having brought me to this god pardon me for it and all my sinful thoughts instead of being humbled and purified by my afflictions i feel that they are turning my nature into gall this must be my fault as much as theirs that wrong me no true christian could cherish such bitter feelings as i do against him and her especially the latter him i still feel that i could pardon freely gladly on the slightest token of repentance but she words cannot utter my abhorrence reason forbids but passion urges strongly and i must pray and struggle long ere i subdue it it is well that she is leaving to-morrow for i could not well endure her presence for another day this morning she rose earlier than usual i found her in the room alone when i went down to breakfast oh helen is it you said she turning as i entered i gave an involuntary start back on seeing her at which she uttered a short laugh observing i think we are both disappointed i came forward and busied myself with the breakfast things this is the last day i shall burden your hospitality said she as she seated herself at the table ah here comes one that will not rejoice at it she murmured half to herself as arthur entered the room he shook hands with her and wished her good morning 
then looking lovingly in her face and still retaining her hand in his murmured pathetically the last last day yes said she with some asperity and i rose early to make the best of it i have been here alone this half hour and you you lazy creature well i thought i was early too said he but dropping his voice almost to a whisper you see we are not alone we never are returned she but they were almost as good as alone for i was now standing at the window watching the clouds and struggling to suppress my wrath some more words passed between them which happily i did not overhear but annabella had the audacity to come and place herself beside me and even to put her hand upon my shoulder and say softly you need not grudge him to me helen for i love him more than ever you could do this put me beside myself i took her hand and violently dashed it from me with an expression of abhorrence and indignation that could not be suppressed startled almost appalled by this sudden outbreak she recoiled in silence i would have given way to my fury and said more but arthur's low laugh recalled me to myself i checked the half-uttered invective and scornfully turned away regretting that i had given him so much amusement he was still laughing when mr hargrave made his appearance how much of the scene he had witnessed i do not know for the door was ajar when he entered he greeted his host and his cousin both coldly and me with a glance intended to express the deepest sympathy mingled with high admiration and esteem how much allegiance do you owe to that man he asked below his breath as he stood beside me at the window affecting to be making observations on the weather none i answered and immediately returning to the table i employed myself in making the tea he followed and would have entered into some kind of conversation with me but the other guests were now beginning to assemble and i took no more notice of him except to give him his coffee after breakfast determined to pass as little of the day as possible in company with lady lowborough i quietly stole away from the company and retired to the library mr hargrave followed me thither under pretence of coming for a book and first turning to the shelves he selected a volume and then quietly but by no means timidly approaching me he stood beside me resting his hand on the back of my chair and said softly and so you consider yourself free at last yes said i without moving or raising my eyes from my book free to do anything but offend god and my conscience there was a momentary pause very right said he provided your conscience be not too morbidly tender and your ideas of god not too erroneously severe but can you suppose it would offend that benevolent being to make the happiness of one who would die for yours to raise a devoted heart from purgatorial torments to a state of heavenly bliss when you could do it without the slightest injury to yourself or any other this was spoken in a low earnest melting tone as he bent over me i now raised my head and steadily confronting his gaze i answered calmly mr hargrave do you mean to insult me he was not prepared for this he paused a moment to recover the shock then drawing himself up and removing his hand from my chair he answered with proud sadness that was not my intention i just glanced towards the door with a slight movement of the head and then returned to my book he immediately withdrew this was better than if i had answered with more words and in the passionate spirit to which my first impulse would have prompted 
what a good thing it is to be able to command one's temper i must labour to cultivate this inestimable quality god only knows how often i shall need it in this rough dark road that lies before me in the course of the morning i drove over to the grove with the two ladies to give millicent an opportunity for bidding farewell to her mother and sister they persuaded her to stay with them the rest of the day mrs hargrave promising to bring her back in the evening and remained till the party broke up on the morrow consequently lady lowborough and i had the pleasure of returning tete-a-tete in the carriage together for the first mile or two we kept silence i looking out of my window and she leaning back in her corner but i was not going to restrict myself to any particular position for her when i was tired of leaning forward with the cold raw wind in my face and surveying the russet hedges and the damp tangled grass of their banks i gave it up and leant back too with her usual impudence my companion then made some attempts to get up a conversation but the monosyllables yes or no or humph were the utmost her several remarks could elicit from me at last on her asking my opinion upon some immaterial point of discussion i answered why do you wish to talk to me lady lowborough you must know what i think of you well if you will be so bitter against me replied she i can't help it but i'm not going to sulk for anybody our short drive was now at an end as soon as the carriage door was opened she sprang out and went down the park to meet the gentlemen who were just returning from the woods of course i did not follow but i had not done with her impudence yet after dinner i retired to the drawing-room as usual and she accompanied me but i had the two children with me and i gave them my whole attention and determined to keep them till the gentlemen came or till millicent arrived with her mother little helen however was soon tired of playing and insisted upon going to sleep and while i sat on the sofa with her on my knee and arthur seated beside me gently playing with her soft flaxen hair lady lowborough composedly came and placed herself on the other side to-morrow mrs huntingdon said she you will be delivered from my presence which no doubt you will be very glad of it is natural you should but do you know i have rendered you a great service shall i tell you what it is i shall be glad to hear of any service you have rendered me said i determined to be calm for i knew by the tone of her voice she wanted to provoke me well resumed she have you not observed this salutary change in mr huntingdon don't you see what a sober temperate man he has become you saw with regret the sad habits he was contracting i know and i know you did your utmost to deliver him from them but without success until i came to your assistance i told him in few words that i could not bear to see him degrade himself so and that i should cease to no matter what i told him but you see the reformation i have wrought and you ought to thank me for it i rose and rang for the nurse but i desire no thanks she continued all the return i ask is that you will take care of him when i am gone and not by harshness and neglect drive him back to his old courses i was almost sick with passion but rachel was now at the door i pointed to the children for i could not trust myself to speak she took them away and i followed will you helen continued the speaker i gave her a look that blighted the malicious smile on her face or checked it at least for a moment and departed in the anteroom i met mr hargrave he saw i was in no humour to be spoken to 
and suffered me to pass without a word but when after a few minutes seclusion in the library i had regained my composure and was returning to join mrs hargrave and millicent whom i had just heard come downstairs and go into the drawing-room i found him there still lingering in the dimly lighted apartment and evidently waiting for me mrs huntingdon said he as i passed will you allow me one word what is it then be quick if you please i offended you this morning and i cannot live under your displeasure then go and sin no more replied i turning away no no said he hastily setting himself before me pardon me but i must have your forgiveness i leave you to-morrow and i may not have an opportunity of speaking to you again i was wrong to forget myself and you as i did but let me implore you to forget and forgive my rash presumption and think of me as if those words had never been spoken for believe me i regret them deeply and the loss of your esteem is too severe a penalty i cannot bear it forgetfulness is not to be purchased with a wish and i cannot bestow my esteem on all who desire it unless they deserve it too i shall think my life well spent in labouring to deserve it if you will but pardon this offence will you yes yes but that is coldly spoken give me your hand and i'll believe you you won't then mrs huntingdon you do not forgive me yes here it is and my forgiveness with it only sin no more he pressed my cold hand with sentimental fervour but said nothing and stood aside to let me pass into the room where all the company were now assembled mr grimsby was seated near the door on seeing me enter almost immediately followed by hargrave he leered at me with a glance of intolerable significance as i passed i looked him in the face till he sullenly turned away if not ashamed at least confounded for the moment meantime hattersley had seized hargrave by the arm and was whispering something in his ear some coarse joke no doubt for the latter neither laughed nor spoke in answer but turning from him with a slight curl of the lip disengaged himself and went to his mother who was telling lord lowborough how many reasons she had to be proud of her son thank heaven they are all going to-morrow end of volume two chapter sixteen recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter seventeen of the tenant of wildfell hall by anne bronte this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume two chapter seventeen dual solitude december twentieth eighteen twenty four this is the third anniversary of our felicitous union it is now two months since our guests left us to the enjoyment of each other's society and i have had nine weeks experience of this new phase of conjugal life two persons living together as master and mistress of the house and father and mother of a winsome merry little child with the mutual understanding that there is no love friendship or sympathy between them as far as in me lies i endeavour to live peaceably with him i treat him with unimpeachable civility give up my convenience to his wherever it may reasonably be done and consult him in a business-like way on household affairs deferring to his pleasure and judgment even when i know the latter to be inferior to my own as for him for the first week or two he was peevish and low 
fretting i suppose over his dear annabella's departure and particularly ill-tempered to me everything i did was wrong i was cold-hearted hard insensate my sour pale face was perfectly repulsive my voice made him shudder he knew not how he could live through the winter with me i should kill him by inches again i proposed a separation but it would not do he was not going to be the talk of all the old gossips in the neighbourhood he would not have it said that he was such a brute his wife could not live with him no he must contrive to bear with me i must contrive to bear with you you mean said i for as long as i discharged my functions of steward and housekeeper so conscientiously and well without pay and without thanks you cannot afford to part with me i shall therefore remit these duties when my bondage becomes intolerable this threat i thought would serve to keep him in check if anything would i believe he was much disappointed that i did not feel his offensive sayings more acutely for when he had said anything particularly well calculated to hurt my feelings he would stare me searchingly in the face and then grumble against my marble heart or my brutal insensibility if i had bitterly wept and deplored his lost affection he would perhaps have condescended to pity me and taken me into favour for a while just to comfort his solicitude and console him for the absence of his beloved annabella until he could meet her again or some more fitting substitute thank heaven i am not so weak as that i was infatuated once with a foolish besotted affection that clung to him in spite of his unworthiness but it is fairly gone now wholly crushed and withered away and he has none but himself and his vices to thank for it at first in compliance with his sweet lady's injunctions i suppose he abstained wonderfully well from seeking to solace his cares in wine but at length he began to relax his virtuous efforts and now and then exceeded a little and still continues to do so nay sometimes not a little when he is under the exciting influence of these excesses he sometimes fires up and attempts to play the brute and then i take little pains to suppress my scorn and disgust when he is under the depressing influence of the after consequences he bemoans his sufferings and his errors and charges them both upon me he knows such indulgence injures his health and does him more harm than good but he says i drive him to it by my unnatural unwomanly conduct it will be the ruin of him in the end but it is all my fault and then i am roused to defend myself sometimes with bitter recrimination this is a kind of injustice i cannot patiently endure have i not laboured long and hard to save him from this very vice would i not labour still to deliver him from it if i could but could i do so by fawning upon him and caressing him when i know that he scorns me is it my fault that i have lost my influence with him or that he has forfeited every claim to my regard and should i seek a reconciliation with him when i feel that i abhor him and that he despises me and while he continues still to correspond with lady lowborough as i know he does no never 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 he may drink himself dead but it is not my fault yet i do my part to save him still i give him to understand that drinking makes his eyes dull and his face red and bloated and that it tends to render him imbecile in body and mind and if annabella were to see him as often as i do she would speedily be disenchanted and that she certainly will withdraw her favour from him if he continues such courses 
such a mode of admonition wins only coarse abuse for me and indeed i almost feel as if i deserved it for i hate to use such arguments but they sink into his stupefied heart and make him pause and ponder and abstain more than anything else i could say at present i am enjoying a temporary relief from his presence he has gone with hargrave to join a distant hunt and will probably not be back before to-morrow evening how differently i used to feel his absence mr hargrave is still at the grove he and arthur frequently meet to pursue their rural sports together he often calls upon us here and arthur not unfrequently rides over to him i do not think either of these soi-disant friends is overflowing with love for the other but such intercourse serves to get the time on and i am very willing it should continue as it saves me some hours of discomfort in arthur's society and gives him some better employment than the sottish indulgence of his sensual appetites the only objection i have to mr hargrave's being in the neighbourhood is that the fear of meeting him at the grove prevents me from seeing his sister so often as i otherwise should for of late he has conducted himself towards me with such unerring propriety that i have almost forgotten his former conduct i suppose he is striving to win my esteem if he continue to act in this way he may win it but what then the moment he attempts to demand anything more he will lose it again february tenth it is a hard embittering thing to have one's kind feelings and good intentions cast back in one's teeth i was beginning to relent towards my wretched partner to pity his forlorn comfortless condition unalleviated as it is by the consolations of intellectual resources and the answer of a good conscience towards god and to think i ought to sacrifice my pride and renew my efforts once again to make his home agreeable and lead him back to the path of virtue not by false professions of love and not by pretended remorse but by mitigating my habitual coldness of manner and commuting my frigid civility into kindness wherever an opportunity occurred and not only was i beginning to think so but i had already begun to act upon the thought and what was the result no answering spark of kindness no awakening penitence but an unappeasable ill-humour and a spirit of tyrannous exaction that increased with indulgence and a lurking gleam of self-complacent triumph at every detection of relenting softness in my manner that congealed me to marvel again as often as it recurred and this morning he finished the business i think the petrifaction is so completely affected at last that nothing can melt me again among his letters was one which he perused with symptoms of unusual gratification and then threw across the table to me with the admonition there read that and take a lesson by it it was in the free dashing hand of lady lowborough i glanced at the first page it seemed full of extravagant protestations of affection impetuous longings for a speedy reunion and impious defiance of god's mandates and railings against his providence for having cast their lot asunder and doomed them both to the hateful bondage of alliance with those they could not love he gave a slight titter on seeing me change colour i folded up the letter rose and returned it to him with no remark but thank you i will take a lesson by it my little arthur was standing between his knees delightedly playing with a bright ruby ring on his finger urged by a sudden imperative impulse to deliver my son from that contaminating influence i caught him up in my arms 
and carried him with me out of the room not liking this abrupt removal the child began to pout and cry this was a new stab to my already tortured heart i would not let him go but taking him with me into the library i shut the door and kneeling on the floor beside him i embraced him kissed him wept over him with passionate fondness rather frightened than consoled by this he turned struggling from me and cried out aloud for his papa i released him from my arms and never were more bitter tears than those that now concealed him from my blinded burning eyes hearing his cries the father came to the room i instantly turned away lest he should see and misconstrue my emotion he swore at me and took the now pacified child away it is hard that my little darling should love him more than me and that when the well-being and culture of my son is all i have to live for i should see my influence destroyed by one whose selfish affection is more injurious than the coldest indifference or the harshest tyranny could be if i for his good deny him some trifling indulgence he goes to his father and the latter in spite of his selfish indolence will even give himself some trouble to meet the child's desires if i attempt to curb his will or look gravely on him for some act of childish disobedience he knows his other parent will smile and take his part against me thus not only have i the father's spirit in the son to contend against the germs of his evil tendencies to search out and eradicate and his corrupting intercourse and example in afterlife to counteract but already he counteracts my arduous labour for the child's advantage destroys my influence over his tender mind and robs me of his very love i had no earthly hope but this and he seems to take a diabolical delight in tearing it away but it is wrong to despair i will remember the counsel of the inspired writer to him that feareth the lord and obeyeth the voice of his servant that sitteth in darkness and hath no light let him trust in the name of the lord and stay upon his god end of volume two chapter seventeen recording by expatriate in bangor maine millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week individual results may vary when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply